0: Nick, I have been really enjoying these short intros. It cuts out all the crap and we get straight to the point. What do you think? Yes. Yes, I like that. I like that. Look, team, welcome back to the Rise Method podcast, episode number five for the Rise Method. And we're currently in week two of the very first ever Rise Method challenge. Um, And it's been an exciting week, like always. But Nick, we can't go on any further without talking about the weather and how cold it is in Melbourne right now i'm sure the whole east coast has been really feeling the cold weather hey eh?
1: yeah um it has been cold i i've still been doing the ice in the mornings but uh it has been cold and if you if you could see me now <laughs> you can see me i i have an udi and a beanie and then another coat under the udi. So I, I'm feeling you're, it.
0: You're 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 all set now. Yeah. Well, look. I think on the plus side, you can beat this. Uh, you know, financial inflation drama because you don't have to buy ice anymore. You can just go outside and collect yeah. the hail that's been coming down, and then you've got your ice. So I think that's a win-win, right?
1: I agree. Yeah, I agree. You're
0: set. You you you're, you're gonna be putting on your deposit on your third house, and you're just gonna be the pure
1: capitalist. I love it. Um, I'm set. Just because it's cold. <laughs> That's like you got that from it being cold.
0: Yeah, it sounds really, really really, uh, nice, Nick.
1: Uh Uh-huh, you're funny. (laughs) You're you're still funny even after five of these podcasts.
0: Yeah, look, uh, I'm allowed to be. I'm a dad, so it's cool. Uh, But look, Nick, I think it's really interesting when it does get cold. Because our environment shapes a lot of our behaviors and our behaviors shape a lot of our uh, condition, right? So when it's cold, Mm. even me now, uh, I'm not excited to go outside and go for a walk, yeah? Mm. Um, Or like my poor dog, uh, she unfortunately is a little bit neglected right now. She's not as excited to go outside in in the rain and the cold. So going for our daily walk is a bit of a mission, one, to get her out of the house, or two, to get me out of the house and excited to go for our daily walk. And I find it really interesting where there's the common stereotype through winter time, we kind of gain the winter kilos and summer, we shed the summer kilos and some may put one and two together and go, oh, well, when it's hot, it melts the fat away, right? Because the heat melts the fat away, which might not be completely true. It might simply be because of our environment. And I think it, even drawing it back further, it comes down to a really case by case uh, concept because some of us, when it's cold, we want to be just under a blanket and uh, put our hoodie on and put our beanie on and turn the heater on and not go outside. So our neat, our overall daily steps decrease, right?
1: But then Mm -hmm. others,
0: because we're cold, um, we shiver a lot and we want to move to stay warm. So in a weird way, some of us in colder climates um, start to maintain our body weight a little bit, better. And you see that in some studies in um, places like Canada and uh, like Scandinavia, where some some folks are able to stay leaner year round because when it's cold, they're more active trying to stay warm. Uh, but in general, we probably find most Australians and most listeners here that through winter time, the activity level decreases because it's cold. Um, and I definitely experienced that when it's cold. Like my step count is, is, is very low because I don't really want to leave the house. Um, even my training performance takes a hit because I'm training in my garage. And Nick, have you tra- you've been training a lot in a in a commercial gym? Have you been training in your garage much lately?
1: Uh no, not much because also Shane has a new car and that lives in there. So yep. Yep. um no. I've been commercial gym, but walking outside. Um so I still walk at five or well, five thirty every morning. I have big gloves.
0: Big gloves. Yeah. I like that. You know what they say about big gloves, Nick?
1: That you can lift big deadlifts. That's right. Without the gloves.
0: Without the gloves, of course. Um, Protecting
1: my paws.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was going to say that when you're training in a cold gym and you grab a hold of like metal, yeah, when Mm. you grab a hold of like the barbell, and the barbell is not just cold on the outside; it's like cold to like the core, and like you're doing, I don't know, bench press or a deadlift or something, you have to place your hands on that barbell, and as the set progresses and more seconds that you spend holding that barbell, you just feel your fingers slowly freezing. You get that mm. feeling? You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. But, like, honestly, it's still a better feeling than not doing it.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think I need to get some, like, insulation into my my garage to turn it a little bit more like a room rather than, like, an outdoor house.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or just seriously, wear all the clothes until it gets too hot. That's another tactic that I have. I just I pop everything on that I own and then I've been known to train in my big puffer, so yeah. it doesn't matter. I'm getting the training done and then um, I'll realise sort of halfway through, oh, hang on, you might be a little bit too warm for this thing. So. Yeah. But, you know, if you, just, if you just say to yourself, it doesn't matter, I, don't, I can be as warm as I want to, that's a way to get yourself out there.
0: Yeah, I like that. I I've been wearing my hoodie through the whole whole session lately, and that's been that's been fine. It's just the hands. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just the 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 fingers on the metal, and it just it almost like an icy burn is what it what it, what you get. But
1: can you film your with. hoodie? Can you can you do um can you film your deadlift with an hoodie? What's today? Is today squat day, deadlift day? Not, What's not going
0: training? On? Not training today. Uh, but I don't actually own a hoodie, Nick. I I, I I'm, I'm a hoodie man. So uh. Hoodies, yeah. But look, boring, Nick, boring. I know, I know. But Nick, tell me, like every week, how is your training going?
1: It is going well. <laughs> it is really good. No, it's good. Thank you very much. Everything is good. Um, everything is going well.
0: Just going well. Ask me a like specific
1: that. question, then I'll be able to answer. Like, how,
0: what- how are the quad gains going?
1: Oh, actually, the quad gains are gaining. Well, actually, do you know what? Let's be fair. I don't think that I'm gaining right now, but what's happening is because I'm leaning down, more muscle is being revealed. So mm-hmm. people are going, oh, you look huge and all that. But it's actually the opposite. It's the funny thing of when you start to to lose body fat and you reveal the muscles, you actually end up looking a little bit bigger than what you looked before because you can see the, um, the muscle. So I'm at that point where people oh, wow. are like, oh. Wow, you look good.
0: Yeah, I like that. So you, again, the, you look the, really
1: the, good. So
0: you're getting <laughs> the the quad striations and the the sweep going. Is that all? All
1: happening? is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like as much as I'll ever have. I mean, yeah. There's there's some stuff going on, but they, they would want to be. Yeah. Because, like you know, there's lifting happening, so they they need to be like that. It's the law. <laughs> no, so, yeah, no, training's really good. Um, so I think in terms of competition, there's probably about 16 weeks. Um, yeah, no, I'm feeling good. I'm cruising. I mean, look, it's 16 weeks, so there's ages, but I'm just feeling good. It's going to be a good one.
0: Yeah. No, I'm excited just to knowing. see what you can put together for, for yeah. the next uh, 16 weeks. It's going to be good
1: thanks man it'll be great (laughs) i'll tell you all about it every week
0: no we'll 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 keep keep everybody updated on how your training's going now
1: if anyone uh, wants to ask any questions feel free because i'm i you know you can ask me questions if there's anything if anyone's excited to hear it
0: no we are we're all excited Mm -hmm. now oh thanks Mm -hmm. uh a few days ago nick um A a friend of mine reached out to me and they said that they wanted to get back into some strength training. They wanted to get back into lifting weights. So Mm -hmm. uh, I just thought I would invite this person over. So they came over to my place and they were training in Steve's gym. And this person isn't as excited as I am in lifting weights. And, you know, I live and breathe the thing and I watch videos all day and I I research it all. And it would be like my number one hobby, right? So this person wasn't excited as I was. So we're going through a lower body session know all the good things, right? We're doing a, a deadlift pattern and a squat pattern and, you know, a few little burnouts. All was good stuff. And as I was taking this person through their training, well, basically my program, um, I didn't want to like overwhelm them too much. I didn't want to give them like a million cues and I didn't want the, to confuse them too much. I just wanted to get them excited about training again. And, you know, just to see some sort of like, uh, you know, motivation and like a little bit of momentum, right? And I, as I was, talking them through their execution of each and every exercise, I kind of came up with three cues that I was using for every exercise. Okay. And I want to share these three tips or three cues that you can use for almost every exercise, right? Okay. The first cue is to control. Okay, so you're trying to control the load that you have or the weight that you're using. Yeah, so control. Uh, mm. And the, the challenge that we're trying to solve with this cue was this person as they were going through their um, reps, maybe they were rushing it, um, maybe they were just a bit jittery when they were walking out, maybe they were like looking around when they were about to start their squat, like looking at the floor and looking at the, the wall and things. Uh, so it was just a, a reminder, just control, control what you're doing, right, just to get them in, in the zone. So that's the first step, is just to control, think about controlling what you're doing. Next, using the squat as an example, as we were lowering it down, um, this individual was kind of rushing the movement, you know, trying to uh, very quickly go through the squat motion. So I kept reminding them just slower, slow it down, slow it down, slow it down. And as they slowed it it down, they were able to like learn the movement, just like how you would learn to do uh, any sort of sport, right? You would learn how to do it slowly and then you would speed it up. So just like doing a squat, if you're not uh, really advanced or well practiced or well versed in, the squat or any sort of exercise, you want to slow it down first before you kind of speed it up. So as to remind this person, slow, slow, slow. And then the third cue that we use quite a bit was to go deeper. So deeper into that painful range of motion. And painful, I mean, in a good way, you know, like as you go deeper into the squat, really stretching the quadricep. And, you know, that's when he gets that really uncomfortable, unpleasant feeling where the quad is actually getting some good tension. So it was control, slower, and deeper, right? It was the three cues and we used that for like a stiff-legged deadlift that we were doing. So control the load, slow it down, really stretching the hamstrings and then deeper, 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 going as far as we could to get that stretch on the hamstrings and then coming back up nice and quickly. So I just thought I wanted to share that with everybody that you can apply those three tips to almost every exercise. Control, you know, focus, think about what you're doing slow it down so that we're slowing slowing down the lowering phase of the movement and then going a little bit deeper into that stretch. So if you're currently doing point A to point B, try to make a point C going a little bit deeper in the stretch. Uh, You can probably find a new experience with DOMS, which is always really nice to have.
1: Mm. Well, I was just thinking... You could also apply it to uh, nutrition as well, those three words, you know, to control, so to have an understanding of what you're putting into your mouth, Um, slower, to slow it down, and then deeper, have a deeper understanding of uh, why you would be doing certain things around food.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. I I didn't think of that before, but that's actually a really cool analogy. Yeah. You're right, so you control control what's what's going on. You're trying to control mm-hmm. elements of nutrition. That's more than just the food. You know, try to control our environment, control, control our behaviours. Then go slower. So slow everything down from how you're eating to how you're doing the task, how you're you know looking at your meal plan, how you're just kind of doing everything. And I think often people want to rush it. You know, we look at a meal plan and it goes, how many macros are on the plan? Like, Whoa, slow it down, slow it down, right? And then the next step would be go a little bit deeper. So you're right. You know, get an understanding of, like, what is a protein? And go a little bit deeper. Like, all right, what are amino acids? And you go deeper into it. So I like that, Nick. That was a good analogy.
1: Yeah. And even the stuff like if somebody says an entire food group is bad or, you know, a way of food is put together is bad, go deeper into that. Investigate why. Investigate what, where that person's coming from as well because, you know, that person may have had an experience with that. Anyway, we can go into that. We could go forever with this. But, mm. yes, I just had a thought while you were talking about that. I thought because the RISE method is holistic, I just thought, wow, it applies to that too.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Now, mm. I was reflecting um, in the in the gym when I was training this person about um, just my own, like, journey through training, you know, in the window of training, how I've kind of gone through lots of kind of like rabbit holes in my training. And one rabbit hole that I found myself in was in functional training. And I think this was in the rise of, like, CrossFit about a decade ago, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, you know, everything needs to be functional. And functional still, like, exists now. And in some circles, it's a bit of a meme, like, you know, you've got to be, got to be functional, right? Um, do you experience it at all, Nick? You know, yes, like, yeah, oh, the same,
1: you know. same years. Um, yeah, yep. we had heaps, heaps and heaps. It was very associated also with lots of TRX things. <laughs> for some reason we considered to be functional and like it's weird there's even a class called functional fit
0: yeah yeah and it it kind of just got thrown this name of like being functional Mm. training and then certain bits of equipment got labeled more functional than others like i don't know a kettlebell Mm. was more functional than a barbell for some reason you know um Mm. i always found it really funny and i think i I find it more funny now that i've kind of made my way out of that rabbit hole of uh functional training and now i start to ask myself like what what is functional you know Mm. Um, what makes something functional and you, we can be like, well, you know, a squat is functional because you squat to sit down on a chair, but Mm. I think, you know, we, what we're really talking about with, with being functional is that concept of specificity where we're trying to do a task, like a squat, uh, and then replicate it in a gym under load. And then you start to wonder, well, with like a squat. If we're going to sit down on a chair, do we need to keep on going heavier with the squat when we can complete the task? You don't, you don't squat with like a hundred kilos on your, you don't, sit down on a chair with 100 kilos on your back, right? That's that's mm. not really the specificity of it. So that's a bit confusing. Then some folk might be like, oh, well, I want to be functional so that I can, you know, apply it to day-to-day life and it's, you know, more natural to train more functional, right? And I think that's a bit of the, the naturalist fallacy, right? Because if it was truly functional, we would be You know, out in the jungle, we wouldn't wear shoes, we wouldn't be in a heater, we probably wouldn't wear clothes, we'll be climbing trees and like you know hunting animals or berries or whoever you think evolution happened right. So like you start to wonder like what is functional and if you look at a commercial gym that is, uh, you know, flat floor. uh, machines that have been scienced out to the max with metal and and mechanics everything in in a gym like what, what is really truly functional about that so. I find it interesting when I find myself in conversations with folks about functional training or being functional and I just reflect on myself and like, what, what, what does it mean to be functional? And I know I'm really digging into the semantics of it. But, um, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, for a while there it was the the functional community was sort of acted a bit superior to the people who just stood there and squatted up and down with, like, a lot of resistance. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I feel like that's not quite the case anymore, but there was that sort of side also where people would be saying, "I'm going to improve my stability by putting a ball upside down and then um, doing a bicep curl on top of that." Yeah, yeah. That that yeah. became um, func- functional,
0: functional somehow. <laughs> Bosu balls and that that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's definitely been around in circles um but look i think now you know we definitely see a literature that suggests that you know doing a back squat um can be quote just as functional as doing i don't know a bosu ball kettlebell swing with a chain around your neck or something i don't know um in terms of like training muscle groups and we have good transfer effect over into everyday life so If you're being caught up in what's functional, what's not functional, it's cool. Just go and do something that you enjoy. Uh, you probably see some good benefits out of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And don't let anyone tell you different. Keep doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Now, another way to think about functional is if you were designing a gym um, and you wanted to choose the most functional bits of equipment in terms of what you can do with it. Uh, so you know, you you and I, Nick, we both have very functional gyms because we have a minimal amount of equipment that we could do the most out of. So in my eyes, something like a squat rack is really functional because you can do, you know, squats. You can load a barbell at different heights. You could do chin-ups in a certain way. You can use the squat rack as different anchoring tools. You want to put resistance bands and other attachments onto it. So I think a, something like a power rack or a squat rack can be very functional because it has multiple uses, right? Things mm-hmm. like a barbell. Very functional, multiple uses. Dumbbells, very functional, multiple uses. So I think if you think of functional in that way, and if you were designing a home gym, like some of the folks in our RISE community are right now, you could think about what exercises give you the best bang for your buck. And if you were thinking, oh, well, maybe I want to buy a leg press machine. So I think, oh, well, it's going to take up a lot of room gonna cost you a lot of money and you might be able to do like one, two exercises if you start doing the leg pressing correctly. Right. Uh, so you start to think, well, you know, in that same amount of money to buy a leg press, it might cost you one, two grand, depending how fancy you want to get the leg press or, or more. Um, you could buy like a power rack, a barbell and an adjustable dump set of dumbbells. And you're pretty set with almost every type of exercise that people, you know, commonly do. Right. Um, mm. Nick, if you could recreate, a home gym, let's say you're moving house, you need, to, you're moving into state, Nick, and you needed to leave all your equipment here and you needed to build your new home gym. What do you think would be like the first maybe two or three bits of equipment that you would get in your home gym?
1: Barbell plates, um, up to about 140. 140- 150 kilos because then I'll be covered there and then um, dumbbells, um, just a few of those and then I mean I'd have I would get a, a rack, a power rack. I think that a power rack is fantastic because as you said, you can do your chin ups, you can um, hook pulleys and things onto it. So it's you don't need sort of one of those big machines that has all that stuff because once you've got a power rack, you can construct your own because your your body's not going to know where that resistance is coming from, whether it's a, a band with something attached or it's a fancy machine. So mm. um, those ones. And I mean, I like a good bench. Um, if I, I, I did use my Esky, but now I've got a, a flat bench. Uh, sorry, I've got a bench that you can adjust, adjustable bench. Um, so I like that. I know you don't, you're not as into that, are you, a bench? If you do, you have a bench.
0: Yeah, I do have a bench. Uh, I feel like I've been using it a lot more lately. Um, yes. But of course- At one I-
1: point- you, didn't, you weren't as into it.
0: No, no, but
1: uh, no, no, like
0: I still definitely enjoy bench press. It's probably mm. one of my favourite exercises. Um, yeah,
1: why did I think, why, did, why would I say that you wouldn't want to bench? I don't know. Mm.
0: Not sure, oh, that's a Maybe you okay. weren't
1: benching. Were you benching all the time?
0: Uh, there might have been windows of time when I didn't prioritise my bench as much. Um mm-hmm. yeah, but that's 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 cool. I think the yeah. bench makes a really great chair <laughs> uh in, in the gym for resting.
1: Have I have I missed anything though? I mean, I I can't I don't want anything fancy. So that, that's just all the basic stuff that that would be able to get me through. But honestly, if even if I just if I had nothing else, I'd go for the barbell and the plates because um that I could do a, a million different things with that.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. If I just think about the bits of equipment that I have and use the most, it would definitely be like the power rack that I have or the cage. Uh, mine's foldable, but I haven't folded it down in a while. I was folding mm-hmm. it down when I parked the car in my garage, but I don't do that anymore. Oh. So um, that just stays, stays open now. But I use my barbell. I've got bumper plates to protect the ground a little bit, so it bounces just slightly. But then I've also got like the, the gym flooring, which kind of protects the, the flooring a little bit. Um... Definitely got a bench, like my bench. Got some adjustable dumbbells, which I use just for some, like, accessory work. One bit of equipment I've spoken about in the past was just a really simple pulley system that I got from eBay. And that's been really good. (laughs) I'm really liking that. Um... And, you know, you could just attach like a plate to one side of it and the handles on the other side and you could do, you know, tricep extension, that type of stuff. But I've just figured out how to do like a hamstring curl on it. And that's been um just a really nice way to to hit the hamstring. So, yeah, in terms of like building out a gym, I would be choosing barbell, plates, dumbbells, the power rack. Um, some resistance bands can come in handy just to add an extra little bit of uh, flavor to your program. Um, but that that pulley system has been quite nice. It's just a, a nice way to get some sort of cable-y type move at home. And it doesn't take up much room. And it's also really cheap. It costs maybe like 50 bucks for the whole pulley system. And if you want to be really MacGyver, you can go to Bunnings and get it all sorted out yourself. Might end up costing a similar price. Um, might save a few dollars, I'm not too sure. Uh, or you can just buy them ready put together on, on eBay.
1: Hmm.
0: Now, Nick, let's talk about the challenge again. We're back into week two. And week two is a nice time to start thinking about the second part of the RISE method, which is all about implementing a strategy, right? So first step, the R, we're reevaluating where we are. Then the I, we're implementing it. Then we're moving to the S, we're sustaining it, E, evolving it. Um, then we're we're cycling through it again. So we're implementing a strategy. Now, many of us, join something like the rise method challenge um, or start a fitness program and we just grab our programming and be on our way and we don't put much thought into it and i think when we just kind of accept our program not put much thought into it it can be quite limiting which is one reason why we have the programs the way that they are, where it allows some customization, some freedom, some, um, you know, modifications that you can make a fit your lifestyle. And that's all what the implementing strategy is all about, about making the program fit for you. Okay. Mm. Now, an interesting example of this is um, in the Rise Method membership area, there is a weekly check-in sheet that you can fill out. And it's really cool. It's a, it's a, it's a, google form actually it's a form you can fill out it's a range of questions or reflective questions and if you answer those questions submit it they come to us in a nice little database and i get to read them all and great way just to reflect on your progress think about the challenges that you have next week and such and i've been going through reading this these and i've been um emailing a few people who have completed their check-in uh just letting them know that i I read them and maybe give them a little bit of a motivation support and one individual um they were they Highlighted that they've got some challenges with craving sweet food. Craving sweet food in the evening. Okay. And I mentioned that this is a really common thing, you know, craving sweets at night. And uh Nick, do you crave sweet foods at night?
1: Um I it, <laughs> it depends. It will depend on how well I've I've managed to feed myself during the day. I find like if I'm on track with with how I've actually eaten during the day and I've had you know enough protein and other things, then um, no. But I, I can understand why people would, especially people that restrict and then get starving because it's a really easy energy source. But also the other thing is it's just habit, isn't it? Like it's yeah. it, it, it might go with Netflix for some people. It's just something that goes with something.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was going to say that that we all experience those nighttime cravings. Like you're not alone. If you're experiencing those nighttime cravings, you might have sweet food, you might have savory food, might be just in the evenings that you're a bit peckish. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was explaining to this person that, you know, it is, it is very normal. And let's think about some strategies that we can come up with to solve this problem. And their response was like, oh, well, what can I do to fix it? And, you know, I, I I think what I was implying with this person was, Hey, we've got to have a discussion to think about strategies. Um, You know, I could tell you You know a bunch of strategies that you could do um but it really comes down to almost some strategies that you can come up with that you can actually make in your lifestyle like i don't know what your kitchen looks like i don't know what food you're craving i don't know what time it is that you're craving it or if it is something like you know you sit down and like to watch netflix with a bowl of ice cream i don't know these things right so after a bit of um back and forth with this individual we found out that they were craving uh chocolate in the evenings we're talking a little bit about their habits. That was a main one, Nick. Um, where some of us purely out of habit, it reaches, you know, eight o'clock on the dot. It's a time-based cue, and we have that trigger. And we want to uh, have some some chocolate, or maybe it is an uh, activity. Like I'm sitting down on the couch, I want to have a sweet, or maybe we've just completed a task. I've just washed up. I've cleaned up all the dishes from dinner. The kids are asleep now, and I want to kick it, I want to have my ice cream or my alcohol or whatever it is. I'm just craving that that food, right? So that's the first thing. It might be um a habit-based thing. And it wasn't for this individual. Um next we can look at maybe nutritional type of thing. Like, hey, are you just hungry? <laughs> um which turned out with this individual they were just simply hungry and they were looking for those sweets because like you said, Nick, it's just easy to digest, hyper palatable food. And it's easy because we like to eat it. Uh, mm. And I think you know, we can look at a few ways. One, we can uh, look at our habits and say, hey, you're just doing this because you're bored or you're you're going with Netflix or whatever it is, or you're doing it because you're hungry. And if you're doing it because you're hungry, that's okay because, you know, we should be a little bit hungry when we're, when we're dieting, like we can't completely avoid hunger, right? Um, but there's ways that we can make this sweet, you know, chocolate, ice cream, whatever, part of our meal plan. So, if you really wanted to, You could accept okay well i can either be at a you know x amount of calorie deficit let's say 500 calories deficit and we might lose you know half kilo a week or whatever our timeline is um or we might sacrifice that slightly all right i want to have 200 calories worth of chocolate which might be two or three blocks of chocolate and if you portion that to yourself you can have that but you might lose weight at a slower weight so if you've made that decision yep i'm happy with that transaction you can do that that's fine and for some folks that might help with uh, accountability and staying on track longer. If we were to, um, you know, factor that into our program, so there are just a few strategies you can use. Like we can either um, think about our habits. We can think about making it part of our meal plan. Um, another one, we can just simply combat combat it. So if you're craving the chocolate, it might be because the chocolate's on your kitchen table and you see it every night, right? Like I, me growing up, I we had a bowl of chocolate on the dining table, right. And it was just a, a cultural thing. We would have the bowl there. And once we finished dinner, people were pack, uh, uh, snacking on their little bit of sweets after their their dinner meal. So they should just be on the dining table in the middle of our living room area. So when it came nighttime, it was easy just to walk past, grab a handful of these little chocolates and we'll just sit there and munch in them in the evening. So that might be you. You might have a bowl of chocolate on your dinner table, your buffet, your kitchen table, wherever it is. It might be a good idea to put that in the cupboard, you know, out of sight, out of mind type idea. And then make something that's... um Probably a better choice, like let's say fruit, more available. So maybe you've uh, chopped it, washed it, cut it up, uh, you know, put it in a container in the fridge. So when you are peckish, peckish, you can go straight to that because it's easy to have, whereas the chocolate might be hard to get to. It might be in the other side of the house. You have to walk the other side of the house, right? And I've told Mm. this story before where, you know, things like hummus uh, or yogurt I can't have in my house because I just inhale the stuff. So I don't buy it. So if I want to have it, I need to physically leave my house, hop in my car, drive to Coles, gotta buy the thing, come home, open it up and then eat it. Eh, that's a lot of work. I'll just have, have an apple, right? Um, so they're the strategies that I use. And the main takeaway is that you're not alone if you're craving sweets in the evenings. It's not a bad thing. Um, and there's ways we can work around it. Um, but, you know, working with this individual, um, you know, we found a way to um, think about her meal plan. Uh, oh, gave her away a little bit. and make it part of of their meal plan. So that was a success for them and hopefully that works out for them for the next next couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Anything that you can do to make it part of is best because also that idea of I can have it is also going to help um, just quieten that noise in your brain about what it is, you know, Um, and sometimes you'll go, I can have it, so I don't want it. (laughs) It's weird.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. When we restrict ourselves, that's a, an easy ticket to say, well, it, now that it's restricted from me, I want it now, you know, what we want, what we can't have. Um, mm. Yeah. And then you're right. When we do restrict ourselves for one, two, three, four weeks, four months, a year, once we do have the first bite of chocolate or alcohol or something that we have been restricting ourselves on, we go through that process of disinhibition and we want to have all of the chocolate or sweets or alcohol or whatever so sometimes you know just allowing ourselves to giving ourselves permission to have a portioned amount can be successful and can be a good idea um mm. yeah and it's all about all about balance and it's all about control and about a bit of sustainability which we we'll talk about more in next week definitely now, Nick, uh, today um, I just launched a new prototype for a tracking tool and this is optimized for mobile and it's going to be really cool. So if it works out well, I'll be changing a few of the meal plans and the training plans to reflect the tracking tool. Um, so it's a little bit more of a uh, of an application. You can put in your, your numbers, you can click a button and it logs in into a database and then you could see it nicely in a, in a graph. Hmm. And I was thinking about this a little bit, how when we're tracking stuff, um, it's easy to kind of get caught up in lots of noise, right? And you know, there's the concept of like helpful data, unhelpful data, and it's kind of like when you drive a car, yeah? You know, if you drive a car and you're going down through the suburb streets and you see a, a sign come up, a stop sign, you know, it's easy, oh a stop sign, you stop, right? Versus when you go to like the city, like the CBD, and there's signs and billboards and noise everywhere, right? You've got to take in all this data. And you've got to figure out which one's the most important sign up. Oh, there's a stoplight, oh geez, I've got to stop here, right? And sometimes when we're training, we want to collect as much data and information as we can. You know, we're trying to think, all right, my body weight's this, my measurement's this, uh, my skin folds are this, my photos are this, my t-shirt feels like this, and, you know, it's, it's never ending. Hmm. And I think it's important to think about what is the important information um, and then what is just noise in the background. And sometimes we get caught up in lots of noise um, versus something that's simply not helpful data. Um, so I will recommend that you use the tracking tool uh, in a way that it is helpful data and it kind of filters out some of the noise that comes with um, other data points. So there's probably a reason why certain data points aren't in that um checking tool that that tracking tool um and just think about it that way so if you're really interested in certain bits of information like why are you interested in that bit of information Uh, is it actually helping you or is it a little bit misleading and adding to more noise in your progress
1: yeah definitely sounds good good on you you just keep coming up with the goods
0: (laughs) oh look i've got i've got a few other projects coming it's going to be exciting but I was thinking again about um, like weekly progression, talking more about like kind of like that concept of of data and about training, you know. And I think when we're training, there's a number of variables that come up with and influence our performance on the day. So, you know, Nick, if you went to train right now, it might be different Mm -hmm. to when you train in your normal time that you train. You train more in the morning, right? Is that... So yeah. You'll go yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. if you trained in the later in the afternoon or or an extreme example in the evening, that'll be a very different performance, right? Versus if you were a bit dehydrated, didn't um, you know have the correct nutrition leading up to your your session, or maybe the music was different in your session, maybe you're training at a different gym, maybe it was quiet in the gym, maybe it was more exciting. Depending on what you enjoy when you're training, that can all change your uh, training. Actual performance, right? So if we're tracking our progress from week to week, and we're expecting, um, you know, we're expecting that that progressive overload, we're expecting that extra rep or extra weight or extra set or something extra, we are implying that we need to get like a personal best, best every single week. And if we don't do that, we're somewhat bad. And I don't think that is completely true. And I think when we're looking at, let's say, our body weight we shouldn't look at one individual number and base our entire progress off that one number. We look at something like our weekly average, and that's kind of like our training as well. Like we shouldn't look at our progress in training from one point in time. Like, you know, if you didn't get a PB in your deadlift up, well you haven't improved from last week. Ah, like, I don't know, but what might be better is if we're looking at it from like a MISO, like a month worth of training. And if that is going to create like a weekly average, Uh, like a a monthly average, and we're trying to track monthly average on monthly average, right? But yeah, look, Nick, I won't take us through a massive TED talk. I guess it's just an interesting thought where uh, if you are tracking your uh, progress in the gym, basing it off of things like, you know, your week-to-week training performance, and if or if not, you're seeing week-to-week improvements, that might be a limiting factor uh, because training isn't linear. It's not, you know, each week we see a little bit more, a little more until like oblivion, right? Um, It's definitely uh, undulating, right? It changes from week to week, depending on our own performance and our own performance can vary, you know, a good five to 20% on any particular day. Um, So you might have a good day, you might have a bad day. And if we account for that, it's probably better to look at our training on like a bigger picture rather than from a session by session. And there's a reason why we don't, you know, use lots of graphs in our training programs where we go, okay, well, week one, you did 10 reps at hundred kilos. And then week two, you did uh 10 reps at hundred kilos. What you did not get a progression and that's bad. No, 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 that's, that's not what the important concept here is. Um, but maybe if you zoom out over the miso, maybe you see progression in your execution or maybe progression in the actual like pump you feel at the end of it or progression in the way that you're able to take it a little further to to failure so there's some methods of measuring progression which is hard to quantify Um, but I've got a few ideas how we can kind of quantify that in the future but it's just just a a thought uh, an idea for everybody is that if you are basing your progress from a week to week idea. And, you know, that is then giving you a sense of value. Hey, I've been good this week. I've seen progress or I've been bad this week. I haven't seen progress. It might not work that way with training, just like it doesn't work with measuring our body weight.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many other variables to factor in. So, um, yeah, if you've got any other ideas around that, where we can sort of expand that a bit, that sounds really good. Looking forward to it.
0: We have ideas. Bring it on. Now, Nick, uh let's um wrap up this podcast soon i want to first celebrate Mm -hmm. the very first ever all stars our five all stars for week one we have uh fletcher margie jody karen and melody so you can find them on the rise method membership area and these all stars were selected for different reasons um, but they all displayed a commitment to the community so many of those are the most active people in our membership area, and you could see that in the leader leaderboard. The leaderboard, are those you collect points as you uh, interact with more um, posts and comments and those types of things. Um, that's one way we 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 select our all stars. Next are those who are showing commitment to their improving their health. So you know they're creating content around you know this is what I'm eating in the day. This is how I'm, I'm improving my my health, these are my goals, that type of thing. Um, And then of course, showing um, progress in the gym. So posting videos and photos of themselves, training in the gym, getting stronger and focusing on training. So each week is a new chance for you to be our all-star. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, gee, Steve, week one was an absolute write-off. That's cool. We're now in week two and then week three and then week four. And if you are a complete write-off, there's always a chance for you to come back and be our all-star for the week. So those five individuals will take away a booster pack to the value of about two hundred dollars. That includes um, their entry fee to the Rise Method refunded, um, and then a really fun pack um, that will be sent to them shortly. So uh, if you're sitting on the fence about committing to the Rise Method, and you're like, "Oh, I just like being in the in the shadows," hey, step out of the shadows! Show us how awesome you are. Show us how you're winning the day. Show us how you're improving your health show us how you're training hard and just being part of our community and you too can be one of our all-stars.
1: Super cool. Do you know Fletcher has listened to every single one of our podcasts?
0: Going back in history, everyone. Yep. Gosh, Fletcher. Well, he probably listened to this one. So, hello, Fletcher.
1: Hi, Fletcher.
0: (laughs) Fletcher's kicking gold um asking lots of questions and being really helpful to those who are um, asking questions and getting to some questions before me so fletcher uh don't try to steal my Fletcher's job just the new steve <laughs> He's the new Steve. <laughs> oh, i love that i love that uh nick let's just answer a few questions that have come up mm-hmm. this week and then we'll wrap it up here so first question maybe mm-hmm. you can have a, a first crack at it
1: mm-hmm. is
0: pretty simple i'd like to do a pull-up how can i learn to do one nick okay so if 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 someone yeah if someone has never done a pull-up before they want to learn how to do it what what steps would you suggest for them
1: well it's funny because you know there's so many things that you can say about this and then you can go oh well i suggest that you go away and you do this and this often the best way to do something is by doing it so um i definitely think that it's good to have a go at um getting up there and then slowly lowering yourself down. So that's the, the I mean, if you can support your body weight and um, slowly lower yourself down and then um, jump back up again and then keep doing that, that is the way th- that I help people do pull-ups. But um, th- another good way that uh, my very, very first coach taught me many, many years ago is, um, now what's it called? Well, I've lost my train of thought, but the one um, where you, Oh my gosh! It's it's a um, it's a row, an inverted row. Is that the one? that's yeah. Called yeah. So I yeah. think that that one's quite good as well for pull ups. Um, I personally, I think you're the same as me. I think we might have had this convo at some point, but I don't think the resistance band does much. That's that's just me. I'm not sure if that's um, such a great one because I've seen people bouncing up and down on the resistance band. They can do about 40, and then they hop off the resistance band and they can do none. So there's, there's got to be sort of a, a bit of a um a gap there, I think, with that band.
0: No, I, th- I I would mostly agree. I think when we take a step back and look at a little bit like of the exercise science type of stuff, there are some folks that can are really strong in like a lap pull down. You know, like especially some some guys out there and even some girls are, uh, you know, load up 100 kilos on the lat, pull down, go for gold. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is an example of like a, um, like a, a what is it, an open chain movement where their arms are moving, but the body is still, right? Um, maybe I'll get the two mixed around. Whereas a pull up is more of a closed chain where your hands are fixed and you're moving your body through space. So there's some folks that are really good at lat pull down, you know, load up, you know, many kilos on the lat pull down. But when they transition that to where their body is moving in space, they don't have the coordination. So sometimes mm. if your goal is truly a lap, uh, uh, like a pull up, sticking to like a machine based um, lap pull down might not be the best way to learn how to do the movement. You're right, Nick. I think you definitely need to do some movement where your body is moving through space and your hands are fixed on something. Mm. Um, I would agree like the, the, the like, negative pull up where you might jump up and lower yourself down is definitely a good idea and i think that's because it strengthens through the whole range of motion whereas if you use a band as your arms become more straighter the band gets stretched and helps you more and more so what you want is actually Mm -hmm. to load up when your arms are are straight you want that load on your back um, to to help build that muscle so sometimes using the band might not be a good idea long term you definitely need to find another solution i i still think one of the best ways is to use that assisted pull-up machine. You know, the one where you can just put the pin in the stack um, and you put your knees on that little like pad and you can like, you know, do a pull-up and the, the load helps you move up and down. I uh, definitely think that's a great way to learn how to do a pull-up. Um, and even for the bodybuilder bros and bro, broettes out there, you doing something like that can be a really great way to get a good stretch and a good contraction on the, the back muscles is to use the um, assisted pull-up machine. Even if you can bust out like 10 pull-ups without any load, using that assisted machine might be a great way to get that good, you know, mind muscle connection when you're training.
1: Mm. Do you know what's funny? Because we've been coaching for so many years through like uh, lockdowns and stuff. I forgot about the assisted pull-up machine when I was giving my answer. (laughs) Yeah. I actually completely forgot that that exists. Oh yeah. That exists. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Completely forgot. So um (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> there you go. and yeah. The other thing I was just thinking as well is, um, is your you'll probably find out pretty quickly if your grip is a limiting factor in this as well. So once you're up there and holding on, is if your grip is something that needs work, you'll probably figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah, um, so that's something to look at as well for for longevity in pulling up in your pull up career. I think that mm. if you
0: start with something like a you know a quote chin up with that underhand grip, you might find that you're able mm. to get get that kind of chin to the bar that movement kind of going and then you could kind of move into that pull up with the overhand position um which can be a little bit more challenging for some folks but just that kind of mindset of like oh i'm able to complete the movement that you know builds up the momentum and then you can kind of move over into that that pull up idea Um, so there's another way you could do it start with that chin up move into that pull up
1: that's right Hmm.
0: uh next question quick one um when i've done a challenge previously I was having the night protein. I'm doing team fit this time round with the main aim to lose some weight and get fitter. I haven't as yet been having the night protein, but worrying if this would still be beneficial and just on training days or every day, thank you. Now, <clears throat> um, when we're talking about night protein, we're mainly talking about the product called casein protein. Um, and casein is just a slow digesting protein. And there is some literature that suggests that a slow digesting protein can be helpful for muscle building. Um, However, when we zoom out and we look at the total daily protein intake, if the total daily protein intake is meeting a target, right, around two grams per kilo of body weight, it doesn't matter too much if you have the slow digesting or non-slow digesting or even, even have the protein overnight, as long as we're having a total daily protein intake that is adequate. So for most of us, that's not an area that we need to really consider. You know, If your goal is to lose some some body weight, um, you're on team fit, it's not really a muscle building program, um, You, m- it may not be one of the big rocks that we think about is having the night protein. If you have night protein in your cupboard, yeah, have, have night protein. If you like to taste it, yeah, have night If you're having the night protein, which is more of a, like a custard, yeah, go, go, go wild. I'm not saying don't have it. But in terms of big rocks, what's the most effective thing to do right now? Uh, it might be lower on the priority list if you're having adequate daily protein intake. Um, if you were to have it, you probably want to have it, um, on most days. So almost every day, um, again, just to meet your daily protein intakes, um, it not, wouldn't be, um, better or worse to have it on, on training days only, um, that wouldn't make much of a difference.
1: Yeah. Protein. Sometimes people confuse protein with pre-workout. I think Mm. they go, if I'm not training, I don't need it, but it's different. It's just, it's part of your daily needs. So it will be factored Mm. into your daily protein needs. Um, And whether you have a protein powder or a whole food, it's part of your daily needs.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Mm. Nick, next next question here is, I have 12 kilos in each hand. What Mm. weight am I lifting? 12 or 24?
1: Gosh, this is like one of those... um, Scary summary like what uh, are the questions in the employment
0: thingies <laughs> that you have to go
1: through the surveys? Okay, so uh, just off the top of my head, like it, it, it probably doesn't matter in terms of um, overall. Like, is it going to affect the earth if you say you've lifted twenty-four or twelve? Um, like, if I was doing it, I would say, 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 I'm doing an overhead press. I would call it a twelve kilo. Um, just because that's what I've got in each hand. So that's just thinking about what I would do and how I would label it. Um, so then when I did get up to the 24, if I was doing that, I'd, I'd be using the 24 kilo dumbbells. I wouldn't say that it was a 48. It, it's um, different if I have a barbell, but see, that's me. So um, it, it listen to how I'm, I'm kind of rationalizing it for myself. So as long as you've written it down and you're tracking it, it doesn't really matter. But for me, I would I would personally say twelve. Twelve is twelve. Whatever you're holding in each hand is what it is. But you might say differently.
0: Yeah, I think with dumbbells, I would record them as the number on the dumbbell. So if I've mm. got twelve kilos in each hand, it's the twelve kilo dumbbells. Yep. Wow. yeah. Um, but like you said, Nick, it doesn't doesn't really matter as long as it, you know it's it's notes to yourself and. If you write it in a way that you understand, uh, who, who cares how you write it? Um, That's right. As long you as
1: did, you yeah. don't forget and then next time you go and pick up the 24-kilo dumbbells and squash your head or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you can go on the yeah. the 12, the 24s. Um, I mean, if they're like a certain colour, you know, that you might call them the purple dumbbells, you might... Um, you know, give them a name, like the, the the Barry's, you know, you got a pair of Barry's in the cor- like whatever you decide to do. Um, or maybe the, if you have adjustable dumbbells like I do, maybe you just, instead of writing 12, you might put like two bigs and a small, which equals like 12 on the dumbbell. So depending on how you want to write it, as long as you know what you mean and you're consistent with it, um, that's all that really matters, I think.
1: Yeah, like if you were at the beach and you didn't have anything except for two crabs that were helping you out and a stick, you would say, I lifted two crabs on a stick. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, you wouldn't try <laughs> to find a way to measure the crabs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Probably not the crabs. <laughs> they wouldn't want to. But um, yeah, it it really it doesn't matter. Although I like if you want a concrete answer and you want me to tell you, just do 12.
0: Yeah, probably the easiest way <laughs> It's the most universal yeah. way, I'd say, that most people record mm. it like that. Mm. Uh, final question here it was a little bit of a longer question on the forum, but this is just a super summary. Um, the question was that I would like to cut back on sugar and struggling to do so. My daily sugar intake seems to be well above the daily limit of 24 grams just by eating fruit. And they then posted all the food that they eat throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, how do I reduce my sugar intake? Uh, and I'm going to preface this question by saying that I made lots of assumptions. <laughs> I made a lot of assumptions with, um, my answer and that's, um, you know, what, a, uh, assuming does Nick makes a, an ass out of you and Ming, right. Mm-hmm. Or Ming. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, I want to talk and answer this question about sugar. And I think sugar gets demonized a lot, right. Where, you know, we look at sugar, oh, sugar's bad. And we have this immediate association sugar being a bad thing. And it. In a way it is, you know, lots of sugar in our diet is probably not a good thing. Lots of refined sugar is probably not a good thing. And a lot of added sugars to our diet is probably not a good thing. However, sugar from fruits is actually quite good for us um, because the sugar is mixed in with fiber and that slows down the digestion of that sugar into our bloodstream. Um, because it's mainly how quick that sugar enters our blood. Because what we want in our blood is not really big spikes of sugar. So if it's really highly processed sugar it enters the bloodstream really quickly when we get that really quick uh ingestion of sugar as get that spike of sugar that's that kind of like high gi type thing high glycemic index type type idea and that's probably not good for our health because as quickly as it comes up it comes back down whereas if we mm. are having fruit and eating the fruit as in like a whole apple um, we're having fiber with that and that fiber breaks down the sugar intake so that it's not all at once it's a little bit slower and that's totally fine now I think sugar gets demonized, but we need to remember that um, sugar is another way of saying sugar is is glucose. So, glucose molecules is one uh, sugar molecule. And glucose is the preferred energy source that our body uses. Our brain needs glucose, our body needs glucose, and our body goes through processes of gluconeogenesis where it's glucose, sugar neo new genesis creates it's going to create new sugar out of other things in our body so things like fats or um, proteins or breaking down bones to create um sugar in our blood so that our brain can use it so um you know we can't be afraid of sugar because our body uses sugar all day every day so if you completely avoid it it's going to find another way to find sugar it's going to break down the other foods that you eat so sugar isn't the the, the devil here sugar isn't the bad thing However, there is like a, a limit. We're saying, okay, you're having a little bit too much sugar, you're at a higher risk of things like diabetes. Now, it turns out this, this person was um, anxious about developing diabetes. And I'm not a dietitian. I'll put my hand up and say I'm not a dietitian. So I can't advise mm. on uh, diabetes. Um, however, type 2 diabetes is a little bit multifactorial. And it's not just simply our sugar intake. Uh, we do need to consider other factors in diabetes as well, such as our fiber intake, our overall physical activity um, and our overall body weight. So as we reduce our body weight, that's a really large um, risk decreasing thing for diabetes, right? So um, sugar from fruit, isn't a bad thing. Um, It's a bad thing if you decide to juice a lot of fruit or blend a lot of fruit. Okay. You're kind of removing a lot of the fiber in there. So I would say that, you know, we don't, we don't need to be focusing a lot on our sugar intake. What the big rocks here are is our overall caloric intake, especially if we're anxious about diabetes and we have a lot of weight to lose. Placing priority on sugar from fruit is 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 not the not the the, the big focus. I would be focusing on our overall caloric intake because um, as we manage our calorie intake and uh, decrease our body weight that would lead to a larger decrease in potential risk factors of uh, diabetes forming. However, I'm not a dietitian, so I'm technically not should, should not be making those claims. So don't take that as, um, you know, a definitive answer. And if you are anxious about uh, diabetes, you should go visit a dietitian for um, a better analysis and uh, prescription.
1: Mm, mm, definitely. Yeah. I, I think um I think that's that's valid. And yeah, I just I do think what what comes with the sugar, because that's where it, when it, once it's mixed with things, it's where that's where it's dangerous, especially sugars, sugars and fats.
0: Oh yeah. And so the, yum. That was the other side of the conversation with this person was that they were worried about sugar cravings um mm-hmm. and trying to reduce their sugar intake to try to reduce their sugar and sweet craving. And mm. <clears throat> um And I say this empathetically. I think that when folks say that they crave sugar, they probably don't crave sugar per se. Like they don't go to like Coles and buy a bag of white sugar and then sit in the car, you know, hand feeding themselves white sugar. If you were really craving it, that's what you would do. That's probably not what you're craving. You wouldn't get a spoon, uh, put a bowl of sugar and just eat raw sugar. You wouldn't do that. Um, What you're likely craving is uh, sugar, as in carbohydrate, like you said, nick mixed with fats so things like Mm. pizza bakery baked goods you know like pasta cabanara like it's the the carb and fat mixture or foods that you label as high sugar foods which are just highly processed highly palatable foods foods that are scientifically designed to make you love them right and i'm talking about those packaged goods that are just you know you can't have them near you or you only inhale them they have like scientists making them more and more tastier for you. And it's often a mixture of a little bit of uh, sugar and a bit of salt that makes it super tasty. And they're, um, you know, highly processed. And because they're highly processed, easy to enter our bloodstream, we get a little bit of a kick, a little bit of energy boost. We feel good eating those foods. So they're probably the foods that you're craving more rather than sugar per se. So again, a little bit of semantics, but you're probably not craving sugar. You're probably craving um processed foods that, you know, contain some sugar in them or some sort of sweetness in them. Um, So it's a little bit different to consider that. And once we make that distinction, like I'm craving sweet food rather than sugar, okay, then we can have that delineation. We can't demonise sugar completely.
1: And even extra, you could say um, I'm craving energy-dense food right now. So where's my energy balance at and where's it at aligning with the goals that I have in mind? Ooh.
0: I like that. So, if you can
1: really detach.
0: I'd I'd like that. Last comment I'll make is that, you know, that really highlights that like locus of control where you say, okay, I don't have a locus of control because I don't, uh, you know, I've just have this craving. I can't do anything about it. But by changing your language and saying, I'm craving energy dense foods, that is like an action point where you go, okay. I can now manage my energy intake because I'm craving these energy dense foods. And you start to put one and two together and you go, okay, cool. I can actually do something about this. I have more control over this now rather than being the, uh, you know, bystander in all of this. So Nick, love it again. You've got all the goods in this episode.
1: Oh yeah. Always, always everybody. (laughs) So hashtag... The goods. (laughs)
0: Hashtag the goods. Love it. Look, Nick, Mm -hmm. let's wrap it up there for episode number five of the Rise Method podcast. If you like this episode, let us know, and we'll catch you next week for episode number six.
1: Cool. Yay.